0: Natalie, that was a really beautiful way to exalt our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Well, if you're like I am, you like secrets. And I want to get, tell you a couple of pastor secrets this morning. They are uh, pastor secrets about preaching. And they'll, they'll help you if you listen to preaching, and I hope you listen to a lot of preaching. Here they are. Number one, every sermon should have a big idea. We talked about this before, but I like to say it again. Every sermon should have a central truth, a big hairy idea. So after you got to church, somebody should you know, on the way home. You, you know, you should be able to say, so what was the big idea? And then immediately you should be able to say, this was the big hairy idea. This was the big idea. And then every sermon should have an aim. In other words, a pastor shouldn't just talk to fill the air with religious-sounding words. He should be aiming at something. Now, the Spirit may do something entirely different than what He was aiming for, but I think He should have an aim. I think He should say, when the people leave, this is the truth that ought to be ringing in their heart. Or this is what they should believe. Or this is what they should do. Or this is what they should repent of or stop doing. They should have an aim. Now, our hero, preacher, preacher, The preacher of all preachers, the master preacher of all preachers, Jesus had a central truth in the Sermon on the Mount and he had an aim. And I want to show you what they are today. No question the central truth in the Sermon on the Mount as Matthew records this, this famous message of Jesus is found in chapter 5 and verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you have real righteousness without which you will not go to heaven? Jesus' central truth of his message is simply this, and that is um, only those with true righteousness will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the book of Matthew, whenever Matthew records Jesus speaking, there's something that Jesus does over and over and over again. He does it a, a number of times in the Sermon on the Mount. He he draws a line. It's kind of either or, black and white. You're in or you're out. You're 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 alive or you're dead. Uh, very 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 commonly in the Sermon on the Mount, and when Jesus talks in Matthew, he divides people into two classes. That would be true here in this room today. Two classes of people that Jesus in chapter 6 verses 22 and 23 he uses the example of some people with a good eye and people with an evil eye in chapter 7 of course three times he does this there's the narrow way people on the narrow way and people on the broad way to destruction in chapter 7 he says there there are people who like trees that are good fruit they're like teachers that are good fruit and teachers that are bad fruit and then in today's text he's going to say there are those who have their feet on a firm foundation and those who don't have their feet on a firm foundation when judgment comes in chapter 10 chapter 13 chapter uh, 22 and chapter 25 10 more times in matthew jesus does this contrast where he divides all of humanity into two groups you're in or you're out you're on or you're off you're alive or you're dead he does this and so this big idea of the sermon on the mount really is do you have the righteousness that is going to mean eternal life for you And so the Sermon on the Mount is a tool for self-examination for that. So what would his aim be? His aim would be to get those who listen to the sermon or to read the sermon to examine themselves to see if they have true righteousness. So you get it? Big idea? Only those with true righteousness are going to go to heaven. Aim of the message examine yourself to see if you have true righteousness now we're coming to the conclusion of the sermon on the Mount. been a really interesting series for my own heart just to just to enjoy the words of jesus and for them actually to kind of you know convict me and kind of work me over when you come here to the end of a message there are a lot of different ways pastors can end messages one of the most powerful ways jesus kind of does subtly is to ask what maybe you pastors would call a diagnostic question Or challenge the people to ask themselves the question of diagnosis. So is this true about you? And, And really Jesus does that with these three pictures that he brings up. And I would say to you, here's a powerful diagnostic question. A way to diagnose your own soul and where you stand with the Lord when it comes to this big idea. Only those with true righteousness will go to heaven and uh, examine yourself to see if you have this true righteousness here's a diagnostic question When you look at the Sermon on the Mount and when you look at your life, do they look alike? Please don't think about somebody else right now Just when you read the Sermon on the Mount, would you say that's what my life looks like? Or would you say my life doesn't look like that? Maybe a better way to say this would be people who really know you the most know you the best and they're with you at times when you're really yourself, would they say, your life looks like the Sermon on the Mount? More importantly, when God, when we come to the end of our time, and there's the judgment of God, will God say, your life look like my words in the Sermon on the Mount? I think you will agree that's a powerful, powerful diagnostic question. If somebody were having a conversation... And they would say, who do you know that really their life looks like the Sermon on the Mount? Is it, is it possible that your name would come up in, in that conversation? And can I lay this truth gently on your soul as our congregation as pastors? Can I just lay this truth gently on your soul? Wouldn't this be a powerful and helpful thing for us to think about this morning? God, does my life look like you said my life is supposed to look? as a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a very powerful thought, isn't it? Let's consider that here today. I want you to see our text is in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 24 uh, through 27. Matthew, let's take our Bibles and open in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And if I could ask you to stand as we read this text. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Help us, Lord, I pray today as we look into your word and we thank you for it. And give us aid, I pray, that something would happen miraculous and spiritual and supernatural, helpful to your people as they have in faithfulness gathered to hear your word today. We ask this in the name that is precious to all of us, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated. And here we have it, two points, two major points. One, I'll tell you right off the top. Those who hear and obey the words of Christ will withstand the flash flood of God's judgment. Verses 24 and 25. It's like, it's, it's a contrast again. And verses 25 and 26, the second point, those who hear the words of Christ and do not obey them will not survive the flash flood of Christ's judgment. That's what it's saying. It starts out by those who survive God's judgment, and you understand the picture here of the flood is a picture is the third picture that Jesus has given as He comes to the powerful conclusion. Notice that Jesus, as a preacher, didn't do what we sometimes do and circle and circle and circle around and kind of dissipate His strength as He lands. He brought this thing right in, bang, three times. He uses three very powerful pictures, and He aims this thing and He He brings it down very clearly. And three times here, He's He's. He's driving toward this question: uh, Are you going to survive the judgment? Three times he brings up judgment. You see judgment referred to in verse 13 with the word leading to destruction. You see judgment referred to in verse 19 when he's talking about the trees, the false prophet and the true prophet, when he says that the false prophets cut down and thrown into the fire. And this is very clearly, again, a reference to God's judgment when he says there is going to be a time, a flood comes in. The flood is analogous to the judgment of God going to come a time when we face God and, and, and there's going to be judgment there, a judgment time. And then twice he says in each section, he says, these sayings of mine. You really don't want to take that to refer to everything Jesus ever always said, although it would be generally true about that. You want, it, you want that obviously, this is one sermon here. So when he says, these sayings of mine, you can go back in the sermon and you can see the sayings he's talking about. So understand, he's not saying that those who survive the judgment are people who've heard and can repeat his sayings, is he? Right? He's not saying that. What is he saying? Those who survive the judgment are those who've heard and obey, the ones who do. This is very important. It's not people who have the right doctrinal statement that make it in the judgment. It's not the people who can regurgitate the right answers who make in the judgment. It's not the people that have defended the proper doctrinal statement that make it in the judgment. It's people whose lives look like these sayings of mine. That's very, very important. And so you have that. Those who hear and obey the words of Christ will withstand the flash flood of His judgment. That's point number one. Point number two, those who hear the words of Christ and do not obey them will not survive the flash flood of His judgment. We'll see that a little bit more. First of all, though, let's just go and do a little quick fly over the Sermon on the Mount, just so that it probes our soul a little bit. Uh, and hear this now. You have, uh, as an example, let's go through the, the Beatitudes. A person who uh, hears and does the sayings of Jesus. These are the sayings of Jesus. A person like this has genuine humility. A person like this has grief over sin. A person like this has meekness. Um... In other words, they may be powerful, but they don't use their power to hurt people. Be Careful with their power. They have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And they're merciful and they're pure, pure pure in heart. They're always trying to be peacemakers. They're willing to suffer for righteousness. They love the law of God. And their life is filled with good works that believers and unbelievers alike can see and glorify God. These sayings of mine. And then on through the Sermon on the Mount, they're not characterized by hostility or anger or resentment toward other people. They're gentle in the way they treat other people, in the way they act and talk about other people. Jesus is very clear that He doesn't even want us to call other people names. They're morally pure. They're loyal to their marriage partner. They take marriage and and moral purity very seriously. Uh, True Christians are truthful. True Christians are willing to love even those who are unkind to them. True Christians talk kindly, do good, and pray for those who mistreat them. Did you get that? True Christians talk kindly, do good, and pray for those who mistreat them. So are you, are you a true Christian is the real question here. Are you a true Christian? True Christians are generous. They don't love money or the things that money can buy primarily. They live for eternal things. They're not characterized by worry and anxiety. They seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, right? They're they're not eager to be judgmental, not always eager to find fault with other people because they're filled with love, you see. And they believe in Christ alone for salvation. Now, does that describe you? Would those who live with you say, that describes you? Would God who knows everything say, that describes you? That's a good question. those who hear the words of christ and don't obey them they will not survive the flash flood of god's judgment and this brings us really to the central truth of this message and it can be given to you as i answer this question what is the ultimate test of a true christian of a real christian the ultimate test of a real follower of jesus what is the ultimate test of one who will spend eternity in heaven here's the central truth are you ready it's this the test of a real christian is what they do, not what they know, not what they have heard, but it is what they do. That's the test of a real Christian. So it makes you a Christian, but it's what shows if you are a Christian. Are you a real Christian, not based on the things that you've heard, not based on the things that you have experienced, not based on the things that you say you believe, not based on what you defend, but just by people watching your life and seeing if it's like what Jesus said, Ask yourself that question. It's a great question. Are you a real Christian? The real test of a real Christian is what you do. Now I hear a question coming from you. Almost audible question. And the question is, Pastor, what about grace? Right? You're thinking that. How many of you are thinking that? Raise your hand if that's what you're thinking. What about grace? Amen. Let's talk about grace. Grace. We wanted to talk about grace. Wouldn't we want to go to Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine? Let's just take. Let's do one flip today. One flip. That means you turn in your Bible to Ephesians two eight and nine. Flip over there. One flip. If you're capable of another kind of flip, I'd like to see that later. But right now, yeah. But here's what it says. You know and love this wonderful passage about the grace of God. We know we're saved by grace through faith alone. That not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Not of works. Let's say he mentioned bows. Right? That's what it says. Now, we love that. And of course, you know that it says this then in verse 10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason that Jesus dug us out of the filthy mire of our sin is so that He could bring honor to Himself by working miraculously in us that we would do good works. And if there are no no evidence of good works in us, there's no evidence of real salvation in us and we have reason to doubt our profession. That's what I'm saying. So who do you know? Back to our diagnostic question. Who do you know whose life looks like the Sermon on the Mount? I always kind of mumble my messages, you know, bits and pieces of my message to whoever's hanging around during the week, and one of my kids says, I know a guy in our church like this. He said he's generous, and he's quiet about it. He has a good testimony among lost and saved people alike. He's humble when he plays sports, and he doesn't talk about people. And I felt a little tinge of jealousy when I heard that. What a wonderful testimony for a guy to be able to have he's secret giving, genuine love, giving and praying and fasting when no one knows about it. Evidence of a true Christian. I was at a basketball game christian christian' school. it was a lot of fun it was It was a scrimmage between a, a girl's scrimmage and a guy's scrimmage. Uh, it was um, pretty much secular music they were playing like band you know music when everybody 's warming up um, the the uh, You know, there was a give and take of athletic uh, competition. It was fun. Um, There really wasn't anything distinctly, you know, proclaiming Christian about it, except there was a prayer before the girls' game. And I, this is a pet peeve, I don't mean to be unkind or judgmental toward the girl, but this is something I notice is when you tack a prayer on something, like, for instance, pastoral call, I go to the house, we spend hours talking, we talk about everything, we talk about sense, we talk about nonsense, we get ready to leave, the dad says, hey kids, be quiet, pastor's going to pray real quick. That's like, why? Nothing else was real quick tonight, but we're just going to real quick talk to, to the Lord. You know, I know, maybe it's, I don't mean to be judgmental myself. It's maybe like, it's a little pet peeve. So the gal prays, and her prayer was kind of a, just a quick little prayer, just a little prayer, you know, just like, oh, help nobody get hurt. It was kind of, it, it, you know, I don't know the girl's heart, but it didn't seem really deep or reverent or meaningful. It was like, help us not get hurt, and help us have a good time, and do an amen. And I was kind of like, oh. And then we had the basketball game. Guy's game, they call on a guy named Brandon Coe to pray. African-American kid gets a microphone he walks out there like he knows Jesus and he prays and everybody in that room knew he was connecting with God because of his reverence for God because of the way he said Jesus name and when he said amen I said thank you now let's play ball because I had a feeling that he had reverence for God and we had been to see God and to meet God and to talk that I said to the kids you know that kid yeah Like, is he a real Christian? Oh, yeah, he's a real Christian. He's a real Christian. This is what Jesus is driving at. Can it be said of us, he is a real Christian. She is a real Christian. Two pastors, both frequent Starbucks on Ireland Road in South Bend, Indiana one of them comes in, he doesn't spend a long time, he kind of blows in, he knows everybody's name, he knows everybody's story, and he's a generous tipper. And then he is back to work. Christmas time comes, this pastor always comes back in, he's well known for putting a $100 bill in the tip jar at Christmas time. You want to be working when that happens, right? Another pastor comes regularly, spends a great deal of time studying He has big, like, noise-canceling earphones. They're like the kind when you mow the lawn. He puts them over his ears because he's trying to avoid contact with people because he uses the place to study. But one of the workers kind of probes finally into his life. Both pastors are devoted Christian men. But one of them, even unbelievers, know he is a real Christian. So what about you? Who knows you're a real Christian? Understand this is important. There is no failure so great, no failure so final, so irreversible as failure when we face the judgment of God. You see these fail videos, you know what I'm talking about? Fail videos? Yeah, you're laughing already. Some of my favorites are like skateboarders. No, if you're a skateboarder, don't get mad at me. But it's like, come on, seriously, it's a, it's a, it's a riot, you know. The skateboarders that do these amazing things, and then they hurt themselves in really bad places, and it's humorous, you know, right? Um, my, one of my favorites was the, uh, you know, the marriage fail videos when you're trying to do a wedding, and, and everything's supposed to be, and, you know, people fall in the water and so forth. There's one that, that's a favorite of mine. This might tell you something about me and my need for repentance myself this morning, but where the, there's a gal, and she's in a wash tub stomping on grapes. Have you seen that one? We should show it. And she falls out, and she's not seriously hurt, but she knocks her wind out, so she's making these really horrible noises when they cut back to the studio. And you can tell the people in the studio are trying really hard not to laugh. It's like, oh, my, she really hurt herself. Uh, You've got to be careful when you watch stuff like that. You don't hurt yourself laughing. It's just and the reason it's funny is maybe two reasons number one, you know The person didn't seriously hurt themselves. They recovered, you know Or number two they were so stupid. They deserve what they got, right? I mean, it's like oh, whatever so you laugh Now here's the thing Jesus when he is giving this warning at the end of his message, it's not a joke. It's not funny The only one laughing in the judgment will be he that sitteth in the heavens will laugh And the lord will have them in derision after the people who mocked God and who rejected God and who were hypocrites and fake and they weren't real, they won't be laughing. Jesus, you see, this is a this is this message. You know, don't you don't you hear people talk about the Sermon on the Mount like it's kind of a effeminate, happy little moral code thing where Jesus is saying, let's be nice to everybody, kind of like the ultimate flower child. Don't you think? They didn't read the whole message at the end, he's like going straight at it isn't he you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell there's a judgment coming it's a flood only those of you who are following me and what i said you do what i say are going to make it when that judgment comes be warned now and then he speaks with authority and he stops and they go wow he spoke his one hand authority it was serious and so we should take it very seriously where i went to school or Lois and i met there was this burbling stream that, it had a little footbridge across it. You would go down to eat every day and you'd walk across this little footbridge where this little stream would run over the rocks. It was a harmless little stream. But, but one day, a, a, a flood came. A quick, a huge thunderstorm came. flooded the parking lot and then the water began to rush down this stream and it came out of its banks. One of the girls in the dorm was looking out and she could see the water was rising on her car. And in her foolishness, she went out to get her car and the girl was pulled away to her death. Nothing funny about that. Whenever I would walk across that little footbridge and look at that stream and look down toward that parking that I would think about, that girl, you can imagine from just an innocent little storm, somebody has to call her mom and dad and say, you aren't going to believe what happened, but your daughter drowned on the campus, under the bridge, she couldn 't get away. If you could see what god 's judgment looks like, you would never laugh. You would never want you would never wish that for your very worst enemy. you wouldn 't want to be there yourself. Jesus, in his infinite love, is warning people, and through the centuries, this truth rings through the centuries. If you don't believe in me and do the things that I said, you will not survive this judgment. But if you believe in me and do the things that I say, you will survive this judgment. Now there's one more thing. Your appointment with judgment could happen at any time. The judgment will be immediate, but your appointment with the judgment could be set at any time. For a number of reasons, you could die. And none of us really knows how long we have, but once that that's the Bible says, it's appointed to a man in Hebrews chapter 9. wants to die, and after that, the judgment is an appointment. Or it may be that Jesus' return in the rapture could be any instant, and, and, and you, would, you would not again uh, believe. Or it could be that God would give you up. As the Bible says, sometimes God gives people up because of their stubbornness. And He says, enough, and He gives you up. And so the judgment is a great judgment, and there's no... There's, it's a, a failure to withstand a judgment is greater than any, any failure because it's irreversible. And it could happen at any time, so it's not something that we should be lighthearted about. It could happen at any time to anyone we know. Yesterday I talked with my, my son-in-law, Austin, about his work, which is pretty sobering to do. He said... He has to, in his line of work, try to remove himself emotionally from people. I'm like, you know, that's funny because in my line of work, that's exactly the opposite. I try to involve myself emotionally. That's what we have to do in our lines of work. But he said that last week he had to deal with a boy that he tried to help, a 24-year-old young man that he tried to help, but failed. And he had to deal with the body of this boy. He had to go up from the basement and tell his parents that he hadn't survived his drug abuse. These are matters of life and death that we're talking about. So the question then rings in our ears. Are you a real Christian? Are you a real Christian? I heard Lois say this the other day. She'd gone to a wedding. She was talking about a woman named Paula And here's what she said. She said, Paula, she's just kind of like talking to herself, said, Paula is a real Christian. Well, that made me listen. Like, tell me more. Oh, she said, you remember Linda and Paula, Linda's Lois' sister, and I called her yesterday and I asked permission to tell you this story, and Linda graciously granted me permission. She said, you, you remember Paula and Linda, they had words. Well, you know, it's one thing to have a disagreement. It's another thing to have a disagreement with a Christian. You kind of expect more of them, right? It's another to have a disagreement with a Christian over sports. And worst of all, almost impossible, have a disagreement with a Christian over sports involving your children. <laughs> Am I right? Linda and Paula had a disagreement. Christians in the same church, in the same Christian school, over sports involving their children, And there was this difficulty that went on, and Paula called Linda one night. And Paula said some things to her that hurt her. And so when they hung up the phone, their relationship was broken. Their friendship was broken. Their fellowship was broken. Next morning, Linda's coming into church, and there's Paula. And she thinks, oh, no. Just inside the door, waiting for her. Paula's waiting for her. Linda walks in the door, and Paula burst into tears. And she says, Linda, I'm so sorry for what I said last night. It was wrong. I was wrong to treat you that way. Will you please forgive me? And Linda said, well, that's okay. But Linda told me, she said, the relationship wasn't the same. There was distance. She couldn't forget the things that Paula said about her girl. And then, a lot of you know, tragedy struck Linda's life. And she got cancer. Linda had six kids, so she worried a lot about her life and her kids. She prayed a lot for God to give her comfort, and he did. But one day the doorbell rang, and Paula was at the door. And Paula had brought over a meal, a huge meal, for her whole family, six kids and a husband. And all during the time that Linda had treatments, once a week Paula came over, and she rang the doorbell. Linda said she didn't just like bring over pizza, Ken. She brought over a full meal. I said, "How do you feel about her?" She said, I "Love her." Lois told me this story, and she started and she ended the story the same way. She said, that "Paula is a real Christian. Are you?"